1: come from a damaged background where uh, my father really from before I was born was already an alcoholic and uh, he was paranoid and fearful of imaginary things, ghosts and not literal ghosts but ghosts from his past and got in trouble with the union when he was a young man and they blacklisted him and I went to the footy once with him and uh, he got really drunk and we were staggering back to where the tram was and we got on the tram and he he got off where his local pub was and I got off with him and went in there. There were these guys there and he picked a fight with them and he he was pretty drunk you know and and uh, it was a terrible moment, you know, and I didn't get it. But years later, I thought, I know who those guys were. They were guys that he worked with, that blacklisted him. They'd been friends and they isolated him and wouldn't talk to him because that was the union, the union's way of dealing with dissenters, you know. And it really broke my dad. He was... He was a broken man. I only I, my, one of my brothers sent me a photo of him. When he was about 18, and he's riding a Norton motorcycle, and he didn't have a helmet on, and he had this James Dean sort of look. It's the only image I ever saw of my dad, where he wasn't a broken, sad man, you know. And you know, you don't get those things when you're young, but you—you you look back as you get older and you realise that the, the world we live in is like that. There's this bullying and stuff that's going on constantly in the workplace and in, in different areas that we, in families, you know. Because my dad was, was like that himself. He was in a rage all the time, you know. And my sister, I had a sister that committed suicide and She'd been a heroin addict. I was on the streets um, getting in fights. I've got no bone in the bottom of this eye socket through getting uh, hit, hit in the face, you know. Spent 10 days in hospital. They took my eye out of the socket so they could fix it, you know. The, the surgeon, when he came to my bed, he said, you know, your eye was sitting on your cheek half an hour ago. <laughs> pretty weird eh so that's that's a bit of my background expelled from school fighting all the time you know and uh i used to practice in my bedroom all the time hours a day i didn't realize that was that was actually making me a good musician you know Really self-taught, actually. Didn't have a lot of lessons. I didn't go to university and study music. But I had a, a natural intuition for what sounded good and what sounded musical, you know. And I used to do things on my bass. I had this riff. I used to muck around with things like that. And when I auditioned for LRB, we, they... they um, Sent me some albums, and said, "Just learn these songs." And they ticked the ones that they wanted me to learn, and I learnt them meticulously. And Graham Goble told me that was the reason I got the, the job because I learnt them exactly as they were recorded. You know, I didn't try and, uh, show them all. That bass is okay, but this is what I can do. You know, I, I didn't do that. And uh, Graham was impressed with that, but. After we had had run through those songs, they said, let's have a jam. So they started playing these two chords, you know. E minor A7. And I had this thing that I was doing in my bedroom, you know, for ages. And they said, that's great. They thought I came up with it on the spur of the moment. (laughs) Who is this guy, you know? (laughs) And they wrote a song about a happy anniversary. You ever heard that song, Little River Band? Happy anniversary, baby, got you on my mind. That's my bass riff (laughs) from my bedroom. So you never know how things, um, if you're prepared, and your moment arrives, you might just walk through the door, you know. A month later, I mean, around that time, I was playing in a band called Peter... Well, we played at a club called Peter Poynton's Pink Pussycat. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible. It sounds like something you'd expect at King's Cross in Sydney. But it wasn't like that. I don't know why they gave it that name. But um, all the guys in the band were great guys and... It was a little residency we had had there, and David Briggs, the guy who joined LRB with me, he was in that band, you know, and uh, some other guys that were quite well known in the music business. And, and the 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 lineup used to change a lot depending on who was available. Like the bass player, Mike Clark, he played on the Don Lane show every night, and he he was very sought after in the studio scene, always doing uh, studio gigs. Sometimes he wasn't available so I would play instead of him. But um, So one day, apparently some of the guys from LRB came in and checked us out and and that's why I got the phone call. Glenn Wheatley called me. He was the manager from the Little River Band. He called me and my sister, I was living at home with my mum and brothers and sisters and that. She said, it's Glenn Wheatley. My sister answered the phone. It's Glenn Wheatley. And I took the phone and said, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's Glenn Wheatley. Yeah, sure. Who is this? You know, silly. So it was Glenn and he invited me down for this audition. And uh, So I was with them for about three years. Played on a few albums and uh, after a while got to believe that it was meant to be that i should be there i deserve to be there you know didn't think that for a long time thinking these guys are going to find out any day now that i don't belong in this band you know but that never happened and i ended up leaving on my own terms most people got the sack from the little river bet but i didn't and uh i had this encounter with the lord i'd been going to richmond temple which was a pentecostal aog church in melbourne great pastor, Phil Hills, and uh, great guy. And I, my brother and sister took me there and I asked the Lord into my heart um, immediately. I could see these people had something that I wanted, you know. And uh, I, uh, I didn't have what they had, so I prayed the prayer, Jesus, come into my heart. Make me a new person. But God heard that prayer. God hears all our prayers, you know. And I um, got baptised in water one night. And the pastor made a bit of a big deal about me being in LRB, you know. And I got pretty embarrassed. And I went home and I said to the Lord in my house, I looked up at the ceiling in the bedroom and I said, If you're there, and I don't believe you are, I just want you to know I'm never going back. That's pretty much literally what I said. And I was pretty happy with that decision. And I went to sleep. But he had other plans. And he woke me up in the middle of the night. Now, this is why the Bible says we are without excuse. Because no matter how damaged you are by life, You can't use that as an excuse because no matter how damaged you are by life, he'll come to you. He'll come to you and he'll stay with you. And things that other people find easy, you might find really hard, he'll help you. And he helped me. He helped me. My wife is here, Roxanne. When we got married, I realised pretty quickly I was... Punching way above my weight. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And after about 12 months of dope, I've got off track, I know. I'll get back to what happened in my room. But after about 12 months of being married, I just wanted to run away. And uh, the Lord came and helped me in church one, one uh, Sunday night. Filled me with the spirit over and over and over again. And each time he did it, he showed me how much he loved my wife. And afterwards, I knew I could not do what I would planned to do. I just knew I had to stay. And every time I got to the point where I wanted to run again, I'd remember what he showed me that night. And how many years is it now? 34 years later. 34 years later, still there. See? Three beautiful kids. Three beautiful kids that don't know the old George McArdle. Just see a a great dad that loves them and is always there. You know? And uh, this night in my house in Melbourne, the Lord woke me up with my bed shaking like an earthquake. And the power of God flowing through my body so powerfully was making the bed shake. A lot. And uh, I woke up to this. And his presence filled my bedroom. And his presence was flowing through heaven. He opened up the ceiling and I, had, I could see into heaven. And he, his presence was coming from heaven and flowing down through me and through the bedroom. It was like, and the number seven... The number seven was flowing down from heaven and through me and through the bedroom. I had no idea what that meant. But I do now. It's the number of God. In, in heaven, there's the seven spirits of God that are around the throne. There's seven, 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 everywhere in heaven. And heaven came into my bedroom that night and he spoke to me there. And it was such a life-changing encounter with the lord that i left the band a month later because i thought i know this is not to just say well that was great what what now this meant something more than the little river band i turned i went into a meeting and i turned down an eight million dollar contract with Capitol records and i left and the guys were all pretty cheesed off i might say but um I just knew that something had happened in my life. Please come on. Ah, good. Do you mind if I play something on my bass? through it. My hands are cold. I was saying to somebody before, we did a few gigs uh, in ice skating rinks. They just put a big canvas over the ice and we'd be expected to play in sub-zero temperatures. It was terrible, you know. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with the Little River Band and um, wouldn't change it for anything. They're great guys. We're all still friends. I talk to them a lot on the phone. and You know, there's um, talk of us getting back together. But uh, we don't own the name anymore. We'd have to call ourselves something else. So who knows? This song I, uh, I wrote... Now, this is the interesting thing. The Lord gives me... Uh, pictures and sometimes visions and some people think will roll their eyes at that point but you didn't have the background that I had God gives me things to give me a little nudge along like doing this, I find this hard, I went to Melbourne, I had uh, half a dozen churches uh, booked and as the, at the, as the time got closer for me to go to Melbourne, I started freaking out. I can't do this. I can't do this. The Lord gave me... I was praying in my lounge room and the Lord gave me a picture of a word I'd, I'd never heard before. Acquiesce. Just acquiesce. I thought... Now, I googled what I saw and I spelt it correctly because... I just Googled what I saw. And it says, to do something you really don't want to do, but you do it anyway. <laughs> so I go to Melbourne, and I get up on the platform of a big church. And I said, I really don't want to be here, but the Lord told me to come. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a good start, you know. But that's what happens. God will make a way for you. And he's done that with me that's just one one instance you know so i go to church in the morning and i thought i'd have an afternoon nap i laid down on the bed eyes wide open i wasn't asleep and i see this picture of a sharp sign a music symbol sharp one sharp it was in like a fluorescent blue and I sat up, I said, Lord, that's you, that's you. So I didn't have a nap, I got up, I went downstairs to my studio and I found my favourite piano sound on Logic and I played a one sharp, is G major, okay, as one sharp, F sharp. So I knew that's what it meant, so I played a G major arpeggio. It's a beautiful deep on the bottom and I wrote three songs and I hadn't touched it for months you know and he gave me three songs and this is one of those songs this was the first one and uh, I'm going to do it now (laughs) Son-in-law on guitar.
0: Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come. can get enough I just want One more. Just one more of you know
1: I just want more of you know I, I just want more of you Lord. Amen. You know those words. We had this um, move of the Holy Spirit at Garden City Church and the prayer, someone would come and pray for you, like one of my mates prayed for me. You know, you go on an altar call and you get prayed for for a minute and then they move on to the next person. This guy prayed for me. He'd just come back from Toronto with all the staff from the Airport Vineyard Church. They went normal. They came back crazy. And they had the glory on them. And my friend was one of them. And he, he came up to me and he started praying. And I thought after a minute, he'd go and pray for somebody else. But he didn't. He stayed and he kept praying. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. More, Lord. This went on for half an hour. And the glory of God came. And I was in from that moment on. It was the same presence that came into my bedroom. I thought that was a one-off, you know. But here it was, and for two or three years, the glory cloud was on that church. I remember standing on the floor there, looking out through the big glass doors at the back of the building, and just looking at all the cars going up and down Logan Road. I'm standing looking and thinking, they have no idea what's happening here. It was, I saw, who's watched The Chosen, anybody? Jesus, in, in this scene, he says to this guy who's really come to complain, he doesn't want his daughter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he's not happy about it, he wants her to come home. You know. But Jesus doesn't back down at all. And he says to this guy, I require a lot from those who follow me and very little from those who do not. What a statement. Now, you won't find that in the Bible, but it's in the Bible a different way. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you, unless you forsake everything, unless you hate your mother and father and children and blah, blah you cannot be my disciple. He's, he's laying it down. And I knew that that statement that's not specifically in the Bible, but it should be. I require a lot from those who follow me and very little from those who do not. And I'm looking at these people driving up and down Logan Road, thinking they've got no idea. Because they're not following him. Sometimes things happen for his people and his people alone, you know. And uh People uh, will roll their eyes at some some things that you say, but they they haven't been on your journey, you know. Like this song. This song I wrote. It's called "The Great Awakening," and I wrote it for a reason, because um, one night I uh, I had a picture well in the morning i had this picture of a. am uh, reluctant to say it too much because people will start thinking oh, what's this guy on about you know but i saw a picture of a bible ribbon and i went into the spare room to put my shoes on and there on the bookcase was my wife's bible with the ribbon hanging down so i opened it to that page and there was a highlighted scripture i can do all things through christ who strengthens me remember that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm thinking about it through the day. And that night I go to bed, go to sleep. I have a dream that I'm pushing this boat through shallow water and there's a guy at the front pulling it with a rope. And He was a pastor at our church. Uh, his name was Ryan. and he's, And then we got into water that was too deep to stand in and we're kind of floating in the water, you know. And this name came across... Uh, My dream, Roberts Learden. And he's an author. I didn't know that. Roberts, which is a strange name. Roberts with an S on the end. Roberts Learden. And uh, at that point, I woke up. And I googled Roberts Learden. And he wrote a book called God's Generals. It's all about John Wesley and Charles Wesley and uh, Finney, George Whitfield, and how they were involved in this move of the Holy Spirit called the Great Awakening in the U.S. and in the U.K. There was no such place as the United States. It was called the New World in those days. They only got there by sailing ship. So they're having this. Incre- the book is about this incredible revival in the United States and UK with these men. The next morning, I go to church. I'm looking for Ryan and he's not there. So I went back that evening and I found him and I said, he's on staff, his office is upstairs. I said, do you have a book called God's Generals by Robert Learden? And he went, yes, I do. How did you know that? And I said, the Lord showed me. He said, do you want to read it? And I said, I do. So he went upstairs and he got it. And he gave it to me. And I read this amazing story. And after, in that same meeting, when Ryan gave me that book, the guest speaker was a lady and she shared her testimony from a, a broken background and when she got saved. Five angels stood at the foot of her bed and spoke to her. And she had this nurtured walk with the Lord for a number of years, like me. You know, She'd been a drug addict and she was a, she's, you wouldn't know it. She's a woman of God, you know. And, uh, but her background was so damaged. And she gave an altar call and I went out on the altar call and I got filled with the spirit of God. This was such a prophetic day. And uh, so this song came out of that. i like to do it now.
0: This is such a whole This is such a special time.
1: So, um, one day I go to the doctors because I fell off my motorbike and uh, I broke a rib and I wasn't even moving at the time. And it didn't heal properly, so I go to the doctors. I said, this rib, it's still still really sore. Can you check it out? So, I uh, get this x-ray I go back, and he says, you've got COPD. I said, what's that? He says, emphysema, which I'd heard of, but I didn't know what it was. I said, oh, what's that? He says, oh, it's a terminal illness. How would you like to go to the doctor? (laughs) Because you've got a sore rib. And he says that to you. I said, what? I'm going to die? He says, yeah. This will kill you. Not straight away. You might live 20 years, but you will die from it. I can't explain how I felt. It was just an incredibly uh, blackness that just descended on me to suffocate to death. Every day when you get up, you can breathe a little bit less than what you could the day before. Oh, it's getting worse, you know. Oh, it's getting worse. This horror just descended on me. I wished I could have said, I said, well, maybe it's just cancer, Doc, you know. It was that, I would have been happy to have had a diagnosis of three months. You've got three months compared to that. Yeah. And, uh, This blackness just came and it wouldn't go away. I'd go to sleep in this anxiety, and it would be the first thing that would be there when I woke up in the morning. This was day after day, and it didn't take long for me to get to the point where I knew I couldn't continue. I couldn't. God, I can't do this. I can't do it. And um, we'd had a pre-play, pre-planned trip to the US with the family so I promised my girls that we'd go to Disneyland one day so we did you know this is not long ago they're all adults but we went to Disneyland they didn't know what I was going through and um, every night I'd pace around in this Airbnb house in the lounge room you know And one night I sat down on the couch and I put my face in my hands. I said, God, help me. Help me. And he spoke to me. Audibly. Don't I do as I say? He answered me with a question. Don't I do as I say? And initially, and this is... This is my thinking. This is not God. This is my thinking. Initially, I was very excited, but as the days went on, don't I do as I say? Don't I do as I say? Yeah, Bible. You say in your word that you you punish the wicked, and I thought, is am I being punished? You know, and. that made me feel worse than ever and my wife and I, we went to uh, Nashville on a train as far as St. St. Louis and then uh, we got a car and drove from St. Louis to to Nashville and got another Airbnb and we stayed there for a week or two and every night's the same I'm up through the night but I had this book that my wife bought me called um, it was by Joel Osteen doesn't matter about the title. And all it was, right through the book, was this sort of thing. The doctor might have said, You've got three months to live. But God says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. You know? The bank manager might have said, They're going to take the house off you. But God says, My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. The whole book was like, so in the middle of the night, I'm walking around and I'm, I'm reading this book and I'm saying these things, you know, I'm saying it over and over. And one evening, it was still, the sun was just going down. Rock said to me, can you put the wheelie bin out? So I went down the driveway with the wheelie bin. I put it on the road. I turned around, coming back up the slope and the Lord meets me there. And he gives me a revelation of who he is. Do you know who Jesus really is? He showed me in this. Jesus is eternal life. That's who he is. And that's in 1 John. If you read the epistle of 1 John with that in mind, you'll see it right through the book. He is eternal life. He is eternal life. And this is his promises, promise to us. Everlasting life. Do you know, I think it's in Ezekiel, the throne of God is, in, is amongst the fire fire the throne of god what does that tell you that tells you and hebrews says this as well he has his life is indestructible and when you were a kid and you asked jesus to come into your heart in sunday school you didn't know that you were inviting somebody into your heart that has indestructible life his life is indestructible and and in hebrews it says that jesus is a greater priest than Melchizedek not by his lineage but because of an indestructible life he lives forever and that's why death could not destroy Jesus and that—that that is who lived in me lives in me so the following Sunday we went to this church and it was incredible the worship was fantastic they had great Nashville musicians in the band and the drummer was um What's his name? Can't hear. Chester Thompson. Chester Thompson. He was in um, Phil Collins' band. He's the drummer with Phil Collins, the black guy. He's a Christian. He goes to this band. I went up to him afterwards and I said, "Uh, it's an honour to meet you. And he said, it's an honour to meet you. (laughs) Those guys all knew who I was, you know. And uh, one guy said, I love your work. So, but the thing is, the pastor preached this great message and I'm going through this storm, so I went out on the altar call and he's up here, he walks past me and he stops. He stops and he puts his hand on my head. He says, this man here is from the Holy Spirit. Now, he had no way of knowing that, except that the Lord showed him that. Because I had just heard from the Holy Spirit. This man hears from the Holy Spirit. Then he prayed for me. I was hit by the power of God. I reckon I spent an hour on the floor with the power of God flowing through my body. I come back to Brisbane after that holiday. Had an appointment to go and have an x-ray, chest x-ray. The girl who did the x-ray, she said, my name's Georgia, I'll be doing your x-ray today. I said, I've got a daughter called Georgia. And she said, you do know why you're here? I said, yeah, emphysema, COPD. She says, how does that make you feel? She was puzzled because I seemed to have a joy that no other patient that she'd x-rayed with that condition had ever had. And I said, yeah, it makes me feel pretty sick. She said, I bet it does. So she gives me the x-ray, she hands me the results, I go out to the car, I Ignored the sticker on it that says only to be opened by a doctor. Ripped it open and it said lungs clear. No hyperinflation. <laughs> Absolute miracle. And uh, don't I do as I say. Thank you Lord. So I don't know if I've got time to, to read Psalm 91. I don't want to go over time but Um, psalm 91 is like an umbrella over us the promises in psalm 91 what you have to do is when you're praying and you've got a challenge like that you have to get your faith over the top over the top psalm 91 is a supernatural psalm i guess they all are but this one is supernatural he who dwells in the secret place of the most high will abide under the shadow of the almighty Surely he will save you from the deadly pestilence. A thousand may fall to your right and 10,000 to your left, but it will not come near you. It is God's promise. Why doesn't it happen for everybody? Because they never get their faith over the top. They just accept it. They think, well, I'll get painkillers. I'll be fine. My family will gather around the bed. They'll all be with me. I can live with that. But I couldn't live with suffocating to death. And the Lord knew it. And he came and he met me. And he'll do it with you. Don't do deals with the devil. We are supernatural people. Psalm 91 is a supernatural psalm. We are Pentecostals. We have something that other churches do not have unless we trade it in. Because it's it's easier to walk in unbelief. Jesus said, (laughs) I require a lot. I know it's not in the Bible, I know that. I require a lot from those who follow me and very little from those who don't. And very little is an easier option. But that's not us. We've got to have prayer meetings. We've got to get together. We've got to pray until the fire comes down. And get back to who we are as Pentecostals I've always my kids growing up I've always said to them I wouldn't go to church if it wasn't Pentecostal because I've had I've had that real Pentecost and this is my song that I wrote about um, that moment on that driveway in Franklin that was a suburb just out of Nashville (laughs)
0: lonely night in Franklin keeps calling me that's why I'm here
1: there's something
0: I have to do something you Calling me
1: Wrong note at the end. (laughs) A bit rusty. haven't stood here. I hope I stand here as a man of God, not an entertainer. The thing is, with entertainment, you need the people's approval. But if you're a man of God, you bring the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to me through the week about Psalm 91. So that is a word for you, whoever you are. Down there, Psalm 91. It's a word from the Lord for you. It was supernatural the way the Lord gave it to me. Showed me a a picture frame, a white picture frame. I'm, I'm praying. I was praying, okay? I wasn't watching days of our lives. I was praying. Showed me a white picture frame. And I'm looking at all the pictures in the lounge, and they're all... Dark, and then there was one white picture frame at the entrance to the front door. And I went over there. Psalm 91. My wife, Roxanne, bought it from a shop and f- had it framed. Psalm 91. And I read it. And it was a word for, for, of the Lord for, for me and for you this morning. You read it when you go home, and you read it as a believer over your situation. Thanks for listening today.
0: I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.